This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hello, hi, and welcome to another episode of The Emma Gunn Show. I am your host, Emma Gunn Awardner, and in this episode, I'm very pleased to say that I'm joined by Melanie Whelan, the CEO of global fitness phenomenon SoulCycle. Now, whether you've ever clipped into a SoulCycle bike or not, the chances are that you've heard about SoulCycle, most likely because of a celebrity being snapped at one of their 90 studios, because someone you know has taken a class and has raved about it, or because you're up on all things fitness and you know that SoulCycle has made something as simple as a spinning class into a mind-body-soul experience. When I was asked if I'd like Melanie on the show, I absolutely jumped at the chance. Why? Because at 41, Melanie is a young female CEO who is out there making real waves, not only in the wellness category, but in business. Melanie is a mother of two, has been the CEO of SoulCycle since June 2015, and in that time, they've grown from seven studios to more than 90, including the London studio, which is where I met her and recorded this episode of the podcast. Her own story is incredible. It's so inspiring, honestly. Working in hospitality at Starwood Hotels, then with Richard Branson at Virgin America before moving onto the fitness brand Equinox, and then SoulCycle. She took the number 26 spot on Fortune's 40 under 40 in their list of CEOs in 2016 and is regularly cited as one of the most influential young businesswomen around. So you can understand, my most excellent listeners, why I quickly snapped up the interview time because Melanie is the sort of woman I want to speak to. But I'd be lying if I said the soul cycle element, element of it came easily to me because I kept coming back to... It's a spinning class. It's 45 minutes of cardio and it's an exercise class. I've done exercise classes before and they have always been to me very functional. Like, oh, what do I need this week? Do I need a bit of um, fat burn? Do I need a bit of calorie burn? Yet you start asking around, you do a bit of research and it becomes very clear that somehow SoulCycle has very successfully elevated the idea of group fitness activity. I mean, think about it. Think about the group fitness classes that you've been to. This has elevated that idea and then some. What Melanie and the team have created is more than a class. It's a challenge against and with yourself. It's a mentor. It's a helping hand on your path to self-improvement. And at a time when it's very easy to live a solitary life, to sort of be very self-sufficient, which is no bad things in some ways, but it's a sense of community and a sense of belonging. Honestly, read the testimonial, speak to people. It's People are evangelical about it. And yet every time I'd get to that place, every testimonial I read, every person I called and said, can I just ask, you live in America, because most majority of their um, studios are uh, in the States, and my friends who live there, I'm like, oh, can I just ask you, have you been to SoulCycle? All of them 
just said to me, 100% of them, it's just so incredible, Emma. Honestly, you're so lucky they're opening a studio in London. And I kept coming back to, it's a group exercise class. Until I visited the studio. Mia culpa, I got it. And I got a sense of what the experience is like to go to SoulCycle. And I haven't done a class there yet, but I will. And then I really got it when I spoke to Melanie. In this episode, we talk about how SoulCycle has redefined fitness, health and happiness through its classes, how Melanie herself has navigated the business world and become one of the most exciting CEOs around, why it's so important to make sure you're not at the bottom of your own to-do list, not even at the middle is another hint, how to avoid burnout, being a working mother, listening to and seeing the signs so you stay true to yourself and so much more. Honestly, I could have chatted to Melanie for another three to four hours easily and not come up for breath. So I hope that you enjoy this episode. Here she is, Melanie Whelan, CEO of SoulCycle on The Emma Gunn Show. (laughs) Well, I've given her a huge introduction and quite rightly so because I'm joined on the podcast today by Melanie Whelan. Hello. Hi. Am I saying that correctly? You are. Phew. I always worry because I have such a complicated surname. I always <laughs> do my due diligence and then when I say it, I always panic. Well, it's very easy to remember because with the bikes, Whelan, <laughs> that's the way I always suggest remembering it. It's almost as if you were destined to do this yes. for so many reasons. <laughs> Something like that. <laughs> I have read so much about you and listened to you talk so much and you are the CEO of SoulCycle. And what's terribly exciting about right now is that we are in the London studio prior to it opening. Yes, we are. Are you having a pinch me moment? Uh, am I having a what moment? A pinch me moment. Oh, I had a pinch me moment the moment my plane sat down in Heathrow this morning. <laughs> I couldn't believe that I'm actually here to open our first London studio. How are you awake? <laughs> you, momentum and excitement. Just keep, you keep it moving. And drunk elephant skincare. Yeah, exactly. That's what and I grapefruit use. candles. Yes. Always. And honestly, a lot of coffee. Yeah, I mean, let's keep it real. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so how, what will this, this is your first London boutique. Is that what you call it, a boutique? We call them studios. Studios. More importantly, I think, it's our first London community. We, you know, we really view the studio business as meant to be a community space, right? Mm-hmm. It's for people to come in and experience, whether it's the class, whether it's the retail, whether here we have a partnership with Good Life Eatery, so we'll have mm-hmm. smoothies and snacks. And... We're in the heart of Soho, and we could not be more excited to have our first community build here. It's a great location, and it's so funny that you use the word community, because as I've been doing my research, one of the things, and I listen to a lot of podcasts, and I listen to a lot of things, and I keep hearing people say there is a breakdown in community, and that is one of the fundamental pillars of society that is causing quite a lot of unrest and people not feeling quite as good as they used to, the community vibe. And the more I read about SoulCycle, and bearing in mind I'm thinking, but let's break it down, this is a 45-minute cardio class. (laughs) The more I read about it, I realized it's so much more than that, and it really does build a sense of community. And tell me the story of this, because I think it's really interesting. So in the beginning, the company was created by two women that were looking for a community in New York. One had moved from Colorado, one had moved from Los Angeles. And fitness for them in those more outdoor markets had been very social, whether it was hiking or biking outside. And so 
in moving to New York, they couldn't find a place that was about fitness, but was more about connection. Mm. And so I think at our heart, we're a hospitality company before anything else. You know, we believe that our riders deserve to be seen and heard and acknowledged and appreciated. And that base human connection of interacting with someone at the front desk or the way an instructor will see you on that back bike mm. in a class, that, that human connection is really what makes SoulCycle so unique. You know, People come to us for the workout. The workout is a 45-minute indoor cycling full body experience. Mm-hmm. Um, it's physical, it's musical, it's inspirational, it's emotional, and our instructors are incredible. They are one of a kind and they really lead the riders. I'm looking around our studio here on these 45 minute journeys. Mm. But at the end of the day, I I really believe what our riders come back for is the connection Mm. and the community and the friendships that are born in our lobbies and the friendships they make with our instructors and that that's really the magic of Mm. what Soul Cycle is. And that's something that we really thoughtfully build Mm. from every single person that we hire to work here. I think as well, I've read that you said they don't just come for the workout, they come for the breakthroughs they have on the bike. And I thought that was very interesting because again, in the back of my mind, I'm going, it's a 45 minute cardio class. And then I just keep seeing these parallels. And I think we're all on this, uh, people who listen to this podcast know that we're always looking about betterment. How can we improve ourselves? How can we not be so snappy? How can we manage our time better? And the fact that you can have a breakthrough a mental breakthrough, an emotional breakthrough, a physical breakthrough in a class where you, I mean, it seems to be this vibe is all about nurturing. Yeah. It becomes quite a powerful thing and they become tribes, right? So what we have to do is get that voice out of the back of your mind that keeps saying, (laughs) it's just a 45 minute cardio It's the journalist in me. I'm so sorry. (laughs) You know, I think, um, you know, when people come in the room, it it is very tribal because you have 60 bikes in a space Mm. and we ride to the rhythm of the music and candlelight. And what happens is, you know, you lose yourself in the music and you, you lose yourself in the rhythm and you lose yourself in the, in the pack and you have this voiceover of the instructor saying, turn up the resistance, you can overcome this. And what he or she is saying is literally turn up the resistance, you can push past this. Mm. But what she means is whatever you're facing in your life outside of the studio, Mm. you can face this. And so whether that to your point is that physical breakthrough where, wow, I'm going to turn it up six times in this Mm. class to climb this hill, or I'm going to have that hard conversation with my boss, or I'm going to break up with the boyfriend that I should have broken up with a couple of years ago. I can face whatever mm. challenge it is. Um, that That is all possible in mm. here because of the tribal nature of what we do. And I, I hear this all the time. I cried in the room and I never thought I was going to even come to Soul Cycle. And now this is, you know, really where I've discovered who I am. Mm. Um, and that's not for everybody. Some people just come and listen to music and have a great workout and that's okay too. We mm-hmm. welcome we welcome all souls. Yeah. But I think the really the, the potent part of the experience is when you turn yourself over to the breakthrough. Okay. If you were writing a business plan and you were trying to explain what we're going to set up these studios, 60 bikes, candlelight, and you're going to have these emotional, physical, mental breakthroughs, it wouldn't necessarily come together. So I'm just wondering how A joined up with B. You know, it's interesting uh, over the years building the business and telling the story to investors and to shareholders. You know, I'm asked a lot, well, what is it? There's obviously something. It's in the water or it's in the air or it's in the music. And I I say, it's not one thing. It's a thousand things. Mm. It's the way 
the candle is placed on the corner of the desk closest to the door so that your olfactory sense takes over when you walk in and you smell something clean. It's the way the cove lighting in our lobbies draws your eyes up. So when you come in from the street, you exhale and your eyes are drawn to the ceiling. Oh, wow. And there, you know, we're very fortunate in that there's only 3,000 square feet here, right? So we actually can curate most details. And candidly, we need to because yeah. we're trying to pack everything into every square inch that we have. But we're really thoughtful about how we greet you, what we say, you know, what we say first, we're a culture of yes. There's going to be a no. The door is closed and class has started and we gave away your bike. You were late. But I'm going to find a yes for you in that interaction. I'm going to give you your class back. I'm going to pre-book you for this class next week. I'm going to put you top of the wait list for the next class. Mm. I'm going to comp you out some retail. I'm going to make sure that every interaction ends on a positive note. Mm. And that comes from hiring great people, training, and then empowering people to make the call in the moment. And Mm. so... You know, whether it translates into a business plan or not, it's been very thoughtfully built Mm. um, from the beginning. The culture of yes was something that really caught my attention because I was, uh, as I was reading interviews that you've done and as I was listening to another podcast, I realized how, again, it's not just about soul cycle. It's about if that's your approach in life, life will be a nicer, better place if you go in thinking, yes, or these are my possibilities. How do you... (laughs) I mean, obviously, it has to start with you. You're the CEO. Like you're, the, you're at the head of the business. So how do you make other people believe it? I think it's a way of being. And I think it's a daily practice. I think positive psychology is a science mm-hmm. and can be coached and learned. And... I think when you see the power of what positive thinking and that culture of yes can unlock in terms of potential, Mm. you see why you should lean into it more. I mean, the fact that we have been able to grow the business this quickly and promote people internally to run pieces of the business, relocate to new markets, um, to overcome some pretty interesting obstacles as we've grown, I think it all comes down to that philosophy of like, Mm. we're going to figure this out. Mm. I have a banner in my office. Uh, that says figure it out because that that is just my mantra. Like we are going to find a way through this. It may not be the solution that we thought, yeah. and it may not be the ideal outcome, but we are going to figure it out. And I think, you know, I'm so inspired by so many entrepreneurs, and I think that's what makes entrepreneurs so unique mm. is they have such clear vision mm. and they don't see obstacles. They just see problems that can be overcome and solved. And mm. I think that that's it's just it's a way of being in a daily practice. I noticed when I was listening to you that sometimes you would stop yourself from saying problem and revert to opportunity, (laughs) (laughs) which I enjoyed very much because I definitely have been somebody who previously in the past who has seen a problem and gone, well, that's it, game over. I'll take, you know, I'm going home. (laughs) And it's been a lot of hard work to go, no, this is now an opportunity to do even better than you planned before. Is that where did you get this? Where's the, where's the entrepreneurial spirit come from? Probably first from my father, who was an entrepreneur back in the 80s when entrepreneurs were not quite as... But they looked cool because they had the phone. <laughs> they did, right? My, I tell the story a lot. My dad had that first suitcase cell phone. Um, 
And, you know, he built companies. He mm-hmm. built messenger businesses in Washington, D.C. in the 80s. And then with the advent of the fax machine in the late 80s, um, knew that the future had changed for messenger businesses and pivoted into transportation companies. And, you know, he always figured it out. And I grew up um, with a father who worked incredibly hard. But I remember the challenging times. Mm-hmm. And I remember him having this, this relentless optimism around, we'll, we'll figure it out. And I think that really instilled in me this notion of, um, team first, people first. There's if you have a great team around you, there's no problem that you can't solve. We have I, so I've got two kids, a nine year old and a, and a seven year old, and they have we have very close family friends we spend a lot of time with. And one of my son's friends said to his father, um, "Dad, what's an optimist?" I don't know that where this is, you know, a couple of years ago. And this friend of mine said, your aunt Melanie. (laughs) (laughs) So I think part, part of it is the the family I was raised in and part Mm -hmm. of it is just, you know, kind of who you are. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. But there is that thing of, and again, it's this parallel. The more I did my research, the more it's like, there's these parallels with the company ethos and what happens on the bike about the breakthrough, about changing the way that you think. Um, You also talk about, and I would love you to elaborate on this, having practices of gratitude. Oh, it's, I think it's all part and parcel of the positive thinking, Mm -hmm. right? When you're growing a business this fast, um, it's only possible by virtue of the team you have around you and the Mm -hmm. team that we have out in the field making it happen every day. I say this all the time. We sit in our HQ office, 250 of us, to serve the studios because the studios serve our riders who are ultimately... um, our, our customers and they are our marketers and they are our evangelists and they are our community members. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, it is our really responsibility to always as a group, you know, thank those people out there that are making it happen every day mm-hmm. because it is a privilege to sit where we sit and be able to do what we do, whether it be brand experiences or marketing investments in technology um, to ultimately serve our riders better. So um, I try to send two thank yous a day. It's it's really easy now with technology, two quick texts to whether it's instructors or operators um, or even personal friends and you know parts of my family that make what I do possible. Mm-hmm. Um, I've got an incredible nanny who makes it possible for me to be here today. And mm. just remembering always to say thank you to the people around you. I think it's just, it's just part of, you know, building the tribe. And also the first time you came to, you went to SoulCycle, you got a thank you. I did. So uh, my first class at SoulCycle was in 2008, one studio, Upper West Side. I have this practice in life. If you hear about something three times. I was going to ask you about this. (laughs) You have to eat it, read it, uh, try it, buy it. Um, And I'd heard about SoulCycle so many times. I went up to try class and met the two co-founders. And I don't remember much about what actually happened in this room. But what I do remember is in the lobby, um, the warmth and the energy of the 30 people that were coming out and the 30 people going in. And I thought, this is crazy. I, it felt like Grand Central with love. <laughs> and what a great way the next day, I got back to my office and one of the, our co-founders, Elizabeth, had sent me a soul child onesie in one of our silver retail bags because I was six, month, six months pregnant with Lachlan. And on a handwritten card, she just said, thank you for coming in. It was so wonderful to meet you, XO Elizabeth. And in the fitness business, you know, it's typically a pretty 
high sales culture, right? You're always looking to convert. You want mm-hmm. people to come back, buy something from you. Um, and what was really different about SoulCycle from the beginning is there was no ask. It was always this notion of gratitude. Thank you for coming in. You know, we're, we're a paper class model, mm-hmm. right? There is no membership. So we are only as good as our last experience with you. And so our ability to say thank you to you for coming in and choosing to spend not just your money, but more importantly, your time mm-hmm. with us, that's the ethos of what really started at that front desk at 72nd Street. Mm. And it's funny you say about ask, about there was no ask, because um, uh, you mentioned about mentors what's the best way to interact with your mentors or to get something out of your mentors and say, get in touch when you're not asking for anything? Always, (laughs) always. Who are your mentors? I think you you, you build relationships when the stakes are low, right? Mm. So I've been very fortunate to work with incredible people over the years. And I have as many mentors who have gone before me as mentors who are younger than me, who are teaching me about things that I didn't have the benefit of growing up with, or I don't have exposure to culturally or, um, you know, experientially. And I think being a really good study and intellectually curious of these different pockets of people around you makes mm. for better leadership. I wish I had more time, honestly, to, to spend time asking more questions, but, mm. um, you know, I view truly anyone that I come in contact with and connect with a mentor. Uh, are you a mentor to anyone? That's a good question. I am... Um, I have a kind of crazy, which I probably shouldn't say out loud, but if someone emails me and asks, do you have 10 minutes? I always say yes. Uh, And I'm hit up a lot. (laughs) (laughs) I can imagine, listeners, I've already told you in the introduction, but your career trajectory is is pretty insane. (laughs) I am. My my assistant thinks I am insane. She said, if there's one more person from LinkedIn that you forward me and say, get her on my calendar for 15 minutes in the next two weeks, um, we're going to have a major problem here. But I just, I think you got to, in life, you pay it forward. And Mm. if there are a couple of questions, you know, the other thing I, I really think with mentorship is when you have a conversation, when you need something to be very specific. I need your advice on these two things. Mm -hmm. Be tactic oriented and be brief, be bright and be gone. Right. And that way the person will always take your call because they know it's not going to impinge too much on their time. And people ultimately love to feel useful, I think. So if people need 10 minutes about a business that they're working on or a problem they're trying to solve, Mm -hmm. I tend to give it to them because, um, I love helping. Do you send an email beforehand saying, I'm really looking forward to chatting, be bright, be bright. <laughs> <laughs> No, but I do say I have 10 minutes. Okay, right. Okay, that's probably a nicer way. <laughs> um, now, talking about paying it forward as well, you have, I mean, this really is something that you've seen within the community aspect of SoulCycle, which is it, it, doesn't, it, it doesn't stay in the studio. Mm. Everything is about paying it forward. And like I said, the more research I did, the more I'm like, I want to join this club. This is, like, <laughs> this is really nice. Um, have you noticed that the, I mean, I guess you must, you've got all these studios around the world. Have you noticed this growing community, this, this almost like the relationships that have been built, whether it's personally, socially, professionally, out of the cardio class. There are so many great stories. <laughs> Most of the relationships actually happen in the lobby, either before or after class. My favorite story is our uh, vice president of legal affairs, Melissa, met her husband in the lobby like at this. 72nd Street. 
and they were they took the same class Thursday nights together, and they would see each other in the lobby. And our lobbies are very consciously designed to be very small, mm-hmm. to inspire what we call natural collisions, where conversations will erupt just by virtue of the fact that you have physical proximity mm-hmm. with one another. And she met a handsome young man, Andrew, in our lobby, and they kept seeing each other and seeing each other, and he asked her out. And now they live on the Upper East Side of Manhattan. They've got two kids and a dog, and she always th- thanks and credits SoulCycle for that introduction. And I have thousands of stories mm. of you know, not just you know uh, relationships at that level, but friendships mm. or just constructive dialogue. We, you know, we had this amazing experience a couple of years ago in DC. Two riders became friends. They rode on the same bikes week after week. They became friends, had great conversations, you know, started developing a relationship outside of the studio. And what they realized was a couple of months in that they were on very, very opposite sides of the aisle in Washington. One was a um, pro-arms uh, uh, lobbyist. And one was on the other side of that argument. And what happened was they had this great friendship and it enabled them to listen to each other and really understand their different points of view. So there's stories all around the map of Mm. different relationships and breakthroughs that people have with other people, which I think is one of the reasons why people keep coming Mm. back. And there's also, you've talked a little bit about, you know, the phone isn't in the room. This is not a technology-based class, whereas it, it really is just about the energy in the room. But also technology is kind of tearing us apart. It's part of the issue with the community and uh, socializing not being so easy because we're all socializing on our phones. And so I think it's very interesting that you've um, designed, even as you say, the lobby to encourage social interaction. And it is almost like a digital detox without Mm -hmm. realizing that you're having a digital Mm -hmm. detox in order to foster the old way of communicating with people. I always... Completely. I always say SoulCycle was born at the right time. We were founded in 2006. We started really growing in 2011 with the advent of technology, which has done wonderful things for our economy and wonderful things for our business, Mm -hmm. right? All of our booking now is online. It all happens Monday at noon. It's completely convenient. It used to be a very inefficient process. Um, You can communicate, obviously, with us all digitally, which is great, and share and amplify your experiences on social media, which is great. But ultimately, there's only a couple of times a week where you put your phone down for 45 minutes, disconnect from technology while you're awake, Mm -hmm. listen to music and have fun. And those experiences are becoming fewer and further between. So uh, I think that, as I said, we were born at the right time and there's a very healing element to what happens in this room. Mm. It's obviously very powerful for a lot of people because you have, I mean, your repeat customers pretty impressive you talk as well about finding your why and again it's all this stuff that is relevant to what's happening in the room but it's also so relevant to what's not happening in the room as well and I just think the uh, attitude is really wonderful and I really want to tap into it just for life but the finding your why um can you talk to me a little bit about that like even with you finding your why you started off in engineering and then you were sitting in front was you were you designing yes a, a wind, wind turbine, a wind turbine. <laughs> And you went, oh, no, this isn't my why anymore. Mm. And I think, 
Yes. I mean, I was a, and I, I had the, my whole plan in life laid out by the time I was 16. I was going to be an engineering concentrator, become an architect, and have my own practice. Mm-hmm. That was the plan. And midway through college, I just realized I could not do one more problem set in, with my engineering mm-hmm. path. It was, I had no passion for it. Mm-hmm. And I called my mom and I said, I, I can't do this anymore. And at that time, when you're 20, you, you haven't made any real big decisions in your life like that. And it, for me, it felt like a really material decision, which looking back was really not that big of a deal. Mm. Um, and she just said, if your heart's not in it, don't do it. And she was absolutely right. Now, I picked up an economics degree and ended up in business, which is ultimately what you know, my dad did. And mm. I was really inspired by that. Um, but I think, you know, my view is always be learning something new and always be surrounded by people that you respect and with whose interests you are aligned. And we will move forward. Sorry, I just want to go back to what your mum said. And it's the fact that she just, it was almost like a shrug. Hmm. And I'm curious about if you had been met with, write a list of pros and cons. <laughs> Think about what might happen if you do this. Think about what might happen if you do that. Do you think the simplicity of, well, then no. I think that probably helped, but my mom probably also knew that I'd already made the list of pros and cons by the time I called her. (laughs) And as a parent, I do think a lot about how much you want to guide your children or how much you want to teach your children to be good decision makers on their own. Because I think that's what my parents did really well, was Mm. just empowered me and, and didn't really micromanage me. And that inspired me more to push myself even Mm. harder. But every human being is different, right? Yeah. And so, you know, as I look at my children, I can see one is very much like me and one is not so much like me. So <laughs> we'll see when those pivotal conversations come, how I handle them later in life. Well, I also noticed um, you talked about going to an all-girls school and one of your mentors or teachers saying, if you're going to raise your hand, know your facts inside out. Yeah, I learned that in 12 years of girls' school, but also going into an engineering program then in college having grown up with 70 girls, where you have all the confidence in the world, wearing the ugliest uniforms, where no one cares what you look like or what you're, you know, what scrunchie you're wearing in your hair. Um, you and to, I went to very different girls' school. <laughs> <laughs> to going to an engineering program where 150 people in my first lecture hall, less than 10 women in the room, all men, all up front with their hands raised. And I think what being at... Um, going to Bryn Mawr really taught me was keep your hand raised, but if your hand is raised, you better know what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. And that has really informed my entire career because there have been moments where I have, have been in meetings and I haven't had all my facts and there's no worse feeling in the world than being pushed and pushed and pushed mm-hmm. and finally saying, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'll have to get back to you. But I also have learned it's so much more powerful to just say, I don't know, versus trying to blag your way through it mm-hmm. and then then you start to lose the trust, right? Because people can sense yeah. when you don't really know what you're talking about. God love you for saying blag, by the way. <laughs> Thank you. For my, it's my Aussie husband. <laughs> oh, is it? Oh, I didn't realize it was Aussie as well. How fantastic. Um, now, you said that you were drawn to business. You had been doing engineering. And a lot of business is figuring stuff out, <laughs> overcoming a problem. And I, I, I didn't really know what engineering was, if I'm totally honest, until I listened in detail to a conversation you had and you just sort of flippantly said well engineering fundamentally is problem solving and I thought well isn't isn't it brilliant that your childhood seeing your dad be an entrepreneur I think you said you watched your mum do the books from the kitchen table yes 
So it just transferred. At some point, you just naturally knew when you were looking at that wind turbine, you said, no, I want to be, I want to work in business. And was it about problem solving? Was it about building? I think it was honestly more about being on a team. So I had played sports growing up and because this girls' school was 70 of us that I was very, very close with, engineering was really independent. It was a lot of late nights in the lab and problem solving and problem sets on your own. Being an architect, I knew would be, you know, not lonely, but it's a very individually driven practice. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I loved about business, what I loved about what my dad built was the idea of you're with a team, you're figuring it out. Um, and I also felt like they were a little more practical solutions. Mm-hmm. And so um, I, I don't know if I, I thought about it even more complicated than that. Mm-hmm. It seemed like when I was graduating, most of my peers were going into investment banking or consulting or going into professional school to be lawyers or doctors. Um, and I was kind of the last man standing at my senior year without a job. And all I knew was that I wanted to do something in business and I didn't really want to be an investment banker or a consultant because the idea of sitting in a rigorous training program for Mm -hmm. two years didn't appeal to me that much. Uh, And I very, very fortunately met the... executive team at Starwood Hotels at the time, which was going through wild transformation and growth. And I always joke, the CEO of Starwood at the time went to Brown, which is where I was. Mm -hmm. So he decided he wanted an analyst from Brown. And that I was like the last person standing on College Hill because everyone else had their jobs already. And then drove down to their offices and said, just hire me. I'll do whatever you need me to do because I don't have a job. And my Mm -hmm. dad said, you can't come home. So (laughs) that's how I landed my first job. (laughs) How... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I like stories like that. And then you just make it you make it work, you make it happen. And how right, talking about a team because networking is a fun is a huge part of what you do as well, I think. Even you talking about taking 15 minutes with someone who emails you off LinkedIn, apologies post this podcast. <laughs> but networking can be or even just office dynamics. I recently asked my listeners to send in questions. For, for topics for me to cover. And it really surprised me, actually, how many people came back and said, can we talk about cul- corporate culture, how to navigate it? I think I'm in a toxic one. How to mm. improve my relationships in the, wor- in the workplace? And it's obviously a huge, huge subject. And obviously, each workplace is completely different because people are snowflakes and completely unique and different. <laughs> Subtle results. Still you, but with fewer lines. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, is a prescription medicine used to temporarily make moderate to severe frown lines, crow's feet, and forehead lines look better in adults. Effects of Botox Cosmetic may spread hours to weeks after injection, causing serious symptoms. Alert your doctor right away as difficulties swallowing, speaking, breathing, eye problems, or muscle weakness may be a sign of a life-threatening condition. Patients with these conditions before injection are at highest risk. Don't receive Botox Cosmetic if you have a skin infection. Side effects may include allergic reactions, injection site pain, Headache, eyebrow and eyelid drooping and eyelid swelling. Allergic reactions can include rash, welts, asthma symptoms, and dizziness. Tell your doctor about medical history, muscle or nerve conditions including ALS or Lou Gehrig's disease, myasthenia gravis, or Lambert-Eaton syndrome and medications, including botulinum toxins, as these may increase the risk of serious side effects. For full safety information, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. See for yourself at BotoxCosmetic.com. But... <laughs> How do you, I mean, you're, you're at the top of the tree, as it were. How do you navigate those sorts of things? Because people are people and they have emotions that they bring into work. Mm-hmm. 
how, what would you say is a, a good way to uh, deal with um, working relationships or an office culture that maybe you're not in love with? Okay. There's a lot in that, mm-hmm. and I want to be thoughtful around it because part of it is how I manage, mm-hmm. and then part of it is advice for if you're in a culture that you don't find conducive to who you are, yes. how to manage that. Um, I think culture is based on relationships, and relationships are founded in people. And so for me, every human being is a snowflake, right? We're all different. We're motivated by different things. We want to accomplish different things. We're focused on different things. And so I try to get to know my team very intimately to understand what makes them tick, Mm. what their family life is like, what's going on for them outside of work, because only when things are stable there can you really come and be your full self Mm. at work. Um, And then I try to just have as honest of conversations as possible. I see this is bothering you. This is bothering me too. Let's talk it out. We have a philosophy at SoulCycle called No Lumpy Carpets. Our view is that I already if, love it. If, you, <laughs> if there's something stuck between us, we're going to lift up the carpet and we call it emptying your bucket. Just say it all. What's on your mind? What did I say that bothered you? Mm-hmm. How could we have done this differently? What else? What else? What else? Sweep, 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 sweep. Mm-hmm. And until it's all out, you can't put the carpet back down right. to really have a foundation of trust mm-hmm. and goodwill between people. And so I think culture happens in relationships and there's no macro, there's really a macro cultural issue. It's more on a one-on-one or a team basis. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think if you're not at SoulCycle and you're in a company where you feel like there's a cultural issue, I would just try to really diagnose down to the root cause. Mm-hmm. Is it between you and a teammate? Is it between you and a boss? Is it a department dynamic? Or is it the most executive leadership in the company that doesn't see value in what you're creating or what you're bringing? And ultimately, the, the, the exciting thing about living right now is there is so much entrepreneurial activity happening. Companies are being started at a pace far greater than ever before. There is so much innovation around technology, around retail, around experiences. Um, Find another culture. Mm. Find another playground to play on. Because the one thing I really believe is soul crushing Mm. is, uh, I think it's called like water cooler talk. Coming into the office and fetching and moaning about mm-hmm. you know the culture or the leadership, like life is too short. Mm-hmm. My view is, and I think especially after I had kids, when I'm there, I want to work. We got a lot to do, a lot to accomplish. I want to get it done. I don't have time mm-hmm. to like gossip and hang and none of that stuff. I want to really focus on where we're going. We've got a big vision. We've got big things we're trying to accomplish. We're hiring more people than we ever imagined possible. Mm-hmm. And then I want to go home and hang out with my kids. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I really try to encourage people, like, don't, don't, don't go below the line. Mm. Stay above the line just as a human being. It's going to feel a lot better to yourself. How do you love what you do? How, how do you remain passionate about what you do, but not take it home? It, that, that what you say oh, about the demarcation. You can't do that. <laughs> <laughs> now, now we've come down to the point where I fail. I, I, um, it's funny that failure you, is an opportunity. It's funny you said I sit at the, um, top of the tree because I view it very differently. Mm. I am the trunk of the tree. And so I believe my responsibility is to hold up the branches that hold up the leaves that sprout the flowers. Mm. I'm sure that was all scientifically wrong. But um, so the I take it home because I take it really seriously. This is 
it's a huge responsibility. It is a huge um, opportunity. Mm. And people are, you know, I've got 2,600 people that have chosen to spend their time with us. Mm. That's on me to make sure that that's a great experience for them. And so um, I do take it home. My team, I'm sure if they listen to this, would say, I work too much. I think about the business all the time. I'm sending notes all the weekend. I always say to people when they start, you do not need to respond to me. But when I think about it, if I don't send it, then I'm going to forget about it. So I just want to send it through when I'm thinking about it. Mm. Um, But, you know, Saturday afternoon, I took my kids to their sports and... We're doing some new work in our retail lobbies and I just wanted to walk around Soho and get some inspiration. So I drag them with me and we're taking pictures all over Soho and I'm sending through to my head of design. And so I do, I do take it home a lot, mm-hmm. but I don't begrudge it. Mm-hmm. I, I love it. Um, but it definitely bleeds more yeah. into life. It's that thing of if you're not like, as you say, the, the water, co- water cooler moment, the, the moaning, the whinging, I've definitely done it in my time. And I agree. The best thing for me, get out of that working situation, find a new one. But I just, uh, some people might listen to this and think, well, that's easier said than done, Emma, but jobs are finite. But I do, uh, going back to something else you've said, which is about if you're going to be doing it, do what you love Mm -hmm. and ask yourself what you love. And you had the moment in front of the wind turbine when you were like, this isn't what I love anymore. If somebody came to you, said, can I have 50 minutes of your time and said, okay, I've got these qualifications. I don't love, I don't want to do this. I don't love any of it. How do I find out what I love? Well, don't view what you love as a destination. View it as a journey. Mm. So what are five companies that you think are doing things that inspire you personally? Mm. What team would you want to be on if you worked for those companies? Go find those people. Write them the most impassioned letter about why you want to be a part of that team and just start having the conversations. I think one of the things that young people do not to their benefit is they're so focused on the work that they're in that they don't pull their head up and spend 10 to 15% of their time building their network. Mm. Some people go to business school um, and have other opportunities to build these professional networks. But if you don't, that's incumbent on you. And we don't talk enough about that being part of your professional practice. Mm. It's not just getting better at the craft that you're in, but also developing a relationship network to learn what else is out there. Mm. I think we're at such an exciting time because... There's so much innovation and change happening that there will be this sort of retooling of our workforce multiple times over the next couple of decades. And so this whole idea when we were young, and I'm older than you, so when I was young of like, what are you going to be when you grow up? Like, that's over. Now it's, what do you, what do you want to be now? And then what do you want, what do you want to be next? Mm-hmm. And then what do you want to be after that? Because there is so much innovation happening. There are jobs that are going to be available to us in five years that we can't even conceive in our mind. Think about 10 years ago, there was no Uber, right? There was no, I'm going to go on an app and I'm going to dial a stranger and the stranger is going to come put me in their car that isn't really licensed to the city and he or she is going to drive me somewhere. That in my house is a no-no. We say to our kids, you don't get in cars with strangers. That's a whole economy now that has all happened in the last 10 years. So imagine in the next 10 years mm-hmm. what's going to happen. So I, I say to my kids a lot, it's not about what you want to be when you grow up. It's what are things that you're interested in? And then how do we find those pathways for you? Yeah. yeah. But don't wait for it to happen for you. You, got, you make your own luck and you make your own opportunities. And it's true. The, the hustle is real. So... 
frantically going through my notes because there's a thing here about making your own luck. There really is. Because that that was just very inspiring about not... Um, there are so many things that you've said that are so... Like, be intentional, be thoughtful, and good things will come. <laughs> Which is like making... That's making your own luck, isn't it? I, I think so. I think so. I mean, there's no question that I have been very fortunate in my career and had incredible opportunities. But every opportunity that I've had, I just I work really hard. Mm-hmm. And when the work is done, I ask for more work and more responsibility because um, you just you want to make yourself indispensable at every turn. Mm-hmm. And that's how you grow and that's how you learn. Um, but you do make your own luck. I think sometimes we wait for someone to say to us, here's your next opportunity. Mm-hmm. That's not happening. Ever. I also think sometimes we wait for someone to say, you're a grown-up now. You can mm-hmm. act like a grown-up. Mm-hmm. So we sort of stay in this sort of stasis of learning and thinking, is it my time yet? Is it my time? It's your time. (laughs) It's always your time. (laughs) It's your time. Um, I I do want to ask about paying attention. I know we've already talked about it, but I wrote it down and I really wanted to come back to it, which is about if you hear about something three times, if you hear it, see it. I've had people on the podcast and we've talked about listening to the universe and the signs Mm. that it's showing you. And I do feel like Every now and again, I'll see something once, then I'll see it again, then I'll see it another time, and then I'll see it maybe a fourth time or a fifth time, but it'll be like, literally, it'll be on the side of a bus, and I'll nearly walk into it, and I'll think, (laughs) oh, I've been missing my signs, Mm -hmm. which is about staying present. Yes. In addition to your physical practice, um, physical health practice of uh, the cycle, do you um, have a mental health practice? I would love to say yes, but the honest truth is no. Mm -hmm. I do believe that 45 minutes in this room, listening to music and being guided on our journey Mm -hmm. is a mental practice. Mm -hmm. My husband knows I am a much better human being if I'm able to come in here for 45 minutes. Has he ever said to you, could you just go and work out? uh, Has he ever not said that to me (laughs) on the weekend? That's the first thing off the first cab off the rank is when is mom working out today? Um, But I, yeah, my, my husband meditates twice a day. So we talk a lot about meditation Mm. in my house. Um, that it's just not a practice that's been resonant for me, but I do find the days that I'm in the room. I, I call it mental Tetris. It's, because I have this way of really disconnecting and there are problems you're trying to solve and the pieces just sort of fall into Mm. place when you let them. If you try to force them, sitting at your desk with a list, you're not really going to solve it. I'm not really going to solve it. For me, I need to be in this space to have that mental practice to solve problems. It's like when there's a word on the tip of your tongue and you then give up and you think, oh, I won't. And then you're like, oh, Barbican. Yes, because you've relaxed and yes. the, word, the brain is gone, we will release this word now. I do it with movies. If I'm having a difficult day with work, I go and have a movie, distract myself. Good for you. And then I go back to my desk and... <laughs> <laughs> or I go for a run, but movies are quite good because I can really detach. Yeah, that's a great idea. Yeah. I mean, got to enjoy the free and freelance, right? Empty cinemas. <laughs> <laughs> but, I feel, but I have come, I've started calling things like meditation, things like uh, exercise. If it all uh, supports your mental health, I call it antivirus software. Oh, I love that. To stop your bad thoughts mm-hmm. coming in. So it's constantly checking. And if it, if it feels a, if it sees a bite that looks negative, it just eliminates it. You know, the best to that point, the best mental health practice just could be not being on social media for a day a week. Just one digital detox day. Could you do it? 
Could you do it? I could. Yes. I think honestly, just because of my schedule, there are days that I don't have the opportunity to look at it Mm -hmm. between my kids and my job and travel and and other commitments. A hundred percent. I can't say that I'm happy or not happier for it, but I do see people getting very hung up on other people's lives Mm -hmm. that, and, and I love when people say this to me, your kids are perfect. And I say, Instagram can tell any story you want it to. Feel free to come over any morning between six and when the bus comes and I'll show you how they're not perfect. <laughs> well, that's the thing. It's this, it's this false reality. Mm. It really is. And as much as I, I mean, I use it for work. I don't shy away from it. I have embraced it and it, it's, it serves a purpose for me and I do enjoy it. I'm not going to say that I don't. There is a definite uh, a realization in my mind of, but Emma, this is not, it's like literally, it's the beginning of Bohemian Rhapsody. Is this the real life? No. Yeah. It's not. No. No. <laughs> That's why I only follow things that would truly make you happy. Yes. And how, <laughs> what makes you happy? <laughs> apart, apart, apart from this, like, is it the building blocks? Is it seeing the growth and development? Hmm. There are a lot of things that make me happy. Mm. First thing that makes me happy is my family. Mm. Um, Yeah, I I love spending time with my kids. And that is, I feel so blessed that I live 10 blocks from my office and I can, I I see them a lot. I bring them into the studio a lot. I bring them into the office a lot. They're very integrated in SoulCycle and I'm very grateful for that. Um, What really makes me happy, obviously, is watching the business grow, but seeing the team lead that, Mm. um, watching our head of retail this year, you know, she came in two years ago, she painted a vision. I want to vertically integrate our retail business. I want to make our own product. We know better what our riders and our instructors want than any other brand could. All the other brands are coming to our instructors to be ambassadors for their brands. Let's do it ourselves. Here's how we're going to get there. Here's the capital I need. Here's the amount of time Mm. I need to prove it out. And here's the business I can build with you. And she's done it and she has blown it away. That makes me so happy. It wasn't my idea. Mm. It wasn't my execution. I was just there to support and to allocate resources and capital and to be a good sounding board with her as she built it. But she built that Mm. with her team. That's awesome. Mm. And I could tell 400 stories of 400 instructors on the podiums that have done the same thing. They came, they invested in themselves, they learned how to teach a soul cycle class, and then they built their audience. They built their community, they built their social following, they built their personas, they built their lives outside of soul cycle by virtue of the foundation they have here. That's amazing. Mm. So I just love this platform has given so many people so many opportunities, and that's that's the most rewarding part about my job. Mm. And it's not cookie cutter. Like you wouldn't go to a different, I wouldn't go to a different studio in a different part of the world and have the same experience and that with the instructor. No, that's, that's what you want. That's the beauty of this is that every class is entirely unique. It's a different time of day, different playlist, different instructor, mm-hmm. different energy in the room, different inspirational coaching. Every soul cycle is really designed to be the soul cycle. So you never, we never want people to feel like they're part of a, chain of mm-hmm. studios so everyone is unique but every class even if you ride exclusively with Marvin each one of his classes is unique every single time he comes into mm-hmm. the room that's what makes it fun again when you when I listen to you talk about training or um not even training I would say allow it you, you don't let you don't let anyone get in their own way there's no barriers or you've got to do your class like this or you've got to use, you've got to talk to the riders like this you've got to do this it's 
do what feels right, do what the room tells you almost. And there is another thing that you said, which was brilliant, where it was like the first headwind I faced was in my own head. (laughs) And I feel like the ethos that comes across in here, and there are so many useful, what you do in business that are so useful in just practical everyday living for um, positive mental attitude. The fact that you said the first headwind I faced was in my own head, and it feels like there's a lot of you as the tree trunk removing the headwind for people to then fly. Mm-hmm. Can I use any more wind and flying? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's really the when we realized we had to scale fast. When we had seven and then eleven studios, and then we were going to open eight in one year, we realized we had to design training programs that were flexible. So our whole philosophy is freedom within a framework. We'll teach you how to teach a soul cycle class. We'll teach you how to run a soul cycle check in. We'll give you all the tools, but then we leave you to interpret that to your own volition, your own mm-hmm. passion, and your own authentic self. And I always say that the woman in Calabasas, California is going to know a lot better how to find the yes for a rider that had a bad experience than any corporate handbook in New York could tell her how to Mm. do that. We hire people for their attitude and their aptitude so they make the right decision. And as a mother, that's all I hope is that my children make the right decision at every turn in their lives. So yeah, I mean, I think it's that, that whole empowerment framework is... It's honestly, it's why people like to work here. Mm. They can come and be their authentic selves and lead in a way that's meaningful to them. And I'm obviously you scaled really quickly, so you had to you had to be unbelievably nimble. But there must have been an element of this. This is a really deliberate thing that we're doing here. Maybe we don't have the choice to have a really strict, rigid framework so that every class is the same. But we we're going to we're going to keep it loose. Mm-hmm. And I guess what I'm trying to get at here is in testing that out and seeing how it performed, are you very much, as you you kind of said earlier, so I think I know the answer to this, but you're very much see what happens and don't necessarily, if it's not going where you think it's going to go, that's all right. See where it's going. And actually that might be better than what you, the destination you'd originally planned for it. I think that's spot on. I'm not sure I could have said it better myself. (laughs) It doesn't always work out that way. You know, sometimes we don't believe in micromanagement. Every one of these studio managers is an entrepreneur in their community. We empower them to lead their business. They make different decisions. They run different challenges, theme mm-hmm. rides, marketing campaigns. Um, and sometimes it goes wrong and we got to pull it back because mm-hmm. it's off brand or didn't perform. Mm-hmm. Um, but other times, I mean, great ideas come out of the studios, right? And great ideas come out of young thinkers in the business. So I'd always rather give them more latitude than less to come up with solutions. One of my favorite things that you said is vision without execution <laughs> is hallucination. <laughs> so I think that was actually, it, that is a famous quote <laughs> by, by a guy with great hair, Mr. Einstein. Oh, oh goodness. <laughs> I believe. Um, but yes, that is, we, we talk a lot about that. I think, um, the best leaders are one that can marry the dream mm-hmm. with how to actually get there. Mm. So we're all going to the moon. I got it. But we can't sit here and talk about the moon that much longer. We have to start building the spaceship. Right. <laughs> so, uh, and I think that honestly where my, um, you know, I was really lucky. I spent 12 years in business development and business development is a fancy way of saying building new businesses, building new partnerships. Um, 
but ultimately not owning execution. Mm. And I moved into operations when we bought SoulCycle and built the business from seven studios to about 40 or 50 studios, I think, um, when I was promoted to CEO. And having that opportunity to build a business and to really understand the nuts and bolts and building blocks of what it takes to scale a company, Mm -hmm. that's invaluable. And I'm only 41, but I can predict. So you're not older than me. I knew you were. <laughs> we're the same age. Really? I know this. Well, your skin is much more beautiful than mine. 77 for life. You're yes. <laughs> When's your birthday? 17th of December. You're March, aren't you? July 23rd. Oh. We'll send each other a birthday card this we year. Will. Well, we're obviously going to celebrate at SoulCycle. Obviously. But when I look back... I think that will have been the most transformative experience of my career, where the mornings when it was Sunday and 6 a.m. and the pipe had burst and the Tribeca studio was flooding and there was no one else to go. And mm. so Lachlan, who was five at the time, and I would go down and bail out the water and you do it with the team and you learn, okay, we're going to insulate the pipes. <laughs> Good lesson. Chalk that up as business school tuition for next time. Yeah. Yeah. And just even those simple things, you know, it's, uh, you, just, you learn so much. Well, I remember someone saying to me when I first went freelance, which was seven years ago, saying, Emma, here's the thing. Never take business advice from someone who hasn't failed. And I thought, oh, okay. That's really smart. <laughs> really smart. Mm-hmm. And you learned from somebody, uh, I've had another guest on the show who's worked with him, um, but you had a brief experience working with Richard Branson, yes. the great British entrepreneur. Five, five years. Yes, and, yes. He, and I guess he had, what he did was he revolutionized what an MD and a multimillionaire looked like. Because <laughs> everyone thought they were sort of stuffy, suited, booted, drove a certain type of, or had a driver drive a certain type of car. Mm-hmm. And he was like, oh, right, I'm Richard. <laughs> <laughs> was, that, was that an interesting person to just sort of see? Oh my gosh. I mean, my favorite Richard story it was interesting because it was very um, connected to my father. We we were launching the airline in the U.S. and we've been working on this business plan. And you know, the U.S. was the great big expansion market, and we were running the corporate development team. And Richard was coming over um, from London. This was a long time ago um, for a meeting about the airline. So I had been preparing for a week and had everything set to go. And we were going to meet in his hotel lobby right after he landed before he was going to a dinner. So I went to the lobby and I was sitting and waiting and sitting and waiting and sitting and waiting. And two hours later, no Richard. And at that point, you know, I, I, it's like the variety of emotions. You're like nervous and then you're frustrated mm-hmm. and then you're worried and then you're pissed and, you know, all that stuff. And, the, and I thought, where could he be? This is the growth market. We're talking about the airline. And I, what I came to learn when he came dashing in was that wherever he landed in the world off a of Virgin Atlantic plane, the first thing he would do is take the cabin crew for drinks to thank them for all the work that they do for Virgin. And... He made some statement, which I won't get right, but something around, it is because of the work that the cabin crew does today that enables you to create the future. Mm -hmm. And so that notion of that inverted pyramid of we serve first our teams who serve our customers who ultimately take care of our shareholders, you know, growing up with a father in client service as an entrepreneur, that was his whole mantra. Mm -hmm. Clients first always. Staff takes care of those clients, team first always. And so that really um, kind of pivoted my thinking on how important the operating team actually is to any future growth of the business. Mm. Do you think, well, 
it's difficult to say because it was your experience, but I wonder if you hadn't had that if you'd come out of business school, if it would have taken you failures to learn that? Probably. And you look back and go, because I definitely think that. I look back and I think, oh, I wish I'd managed. I know now at 41, I'm, I really mismanaged that situation or I didn't handle that well. And the only way I know that is because I failed at it. Mm. Because I never saw somebody make that mistake or teach me the lesson. So I had to fail firsthand. I, and to be clear, I have failed many times. I have micro failed. I have macro failed. And that's just part of growing as a human being. Mm. Um, I'm a first time CEO. I've been doing this for four years. I'm learning every single week how to do it better and differently. Um, but I think if you come in it with heart and you come in it with company first, every decision I make mm. is for this company. It is never about me. It is never about the management team. It is for the company first. And you know what? I, I messed up. I didn't handle that right. I could have done that better. I could have covered off communication in a different way. But I was solving it for the company and mm. maybe I, I moved too fast. Then at least you can feel clean on the fact that your uh, intentions, I suppose, are clear. I can't believe I'm about to mention Nikki Six from Motley Crue to uh, <laughs> a brilliant young female CEO. But he talks about the people that... I was reading an interview with him and he talks about the people he likes to work with. And he says, there are two types of people. There are tanks and there are helicopters. I'm a helicopter. You've got to rise above and see the whole situation. <laughs> and I loved it. <laughs> I'm a helicopter. I'm not a tank. That's great. Thank, thank goodness. That's really great. I always say there's two types of people in the world. Those that run toward a fire and those that run away. Hmm. And I only want to run with people that run toward fire. With a solution. Of course. <laughs> of course. But it's that natural instinct of I just want to help, right? Yeah. Help. Wow. <laughs> But I like tanks and helicopters. Well, it was just an it was just an unusual source. I don't go to Nikki Six for business advice normally, but I thought that was absolutely amazing. <laughs> I thought, yes, Nikki. There's good advice everywhere. Everywhere. And also, Nikki Six has failed. I can't believe we're now doing a deep dive into Nikki Six, but he's someone who's failed. Like he's died a couple of times because of various reasons. But he's he's back. He's a fighter. He is so, a fighter. So um, I kind of I'll my ears will prick up. I'll try and listen. Well, now I know what I'm going to deep dive on Wikipedia on tonight in my hotel room when I can't sleep. The, the nine lives of Nikki Six. The nine lives of Nikki Six. We also need to get you some sleep spray. <laughs> oh, what sleep spray? You know how to get this work, sleep spray. It's also really good for the kids. So what you do is you um, spritz your pillow every single night, just one spritz, and um, the smell is gorgeous. Like it's full of lavender essential oils, all the things that make you go to sleep. Olfactory senses go, whew. And a limbic system goes, <laughs> and um, it really helps when you travel go mm. to a random hotel spritz that your head hits the pillow and you think you're at home oh so you what a good idea in, and it's good for kids because obviously kids when they travel can feel a bit agitated and not want to sleep so if you get kids into the habit that's a genius idea we'll talk off. thank you life hacks life hacks life hacks by Emma <laughs> <laughs> it has been such as like I could honestly speak to you for hours I have about a billion other questions but we are in the midst of this huge, huge launch. So thank you so much for your time. Absolutely. Thank you for coming in. I really appreciate you. A pleasure. 
anytime. And um, listeners, obviously the links to SoulCycle, to Melanie, to everything that we've talked about, including the sleep spray and maybe Nikki Six, <laughs> will be in the show notes. Um, but for now, thank you so much for listening and I'll see you on the next one. And please come and take class. Yes. Thank you so much for listening. I'm so glad that you tuned in for that episode. It was brilliant to have your company. If you want to get in touch with the show, just a reminder that it's super, super easy. Email me at thebeautypodcast at gmail.com or you can DM me on social media where I am at Emma Guns. And if you want to have a bigger conversation, not just with me, but with other listeners to the Emma Gunn Show, why not click the link in the show notes, which can be found wherever you are streaming and downloading this episode, and join the closed Facebook group where there is a whole community of us talking about not only this episode, but all of the others, as well as many other things. Thank you so much for listening. I'll see you on the next one. Bye.